Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 705 with Peter Bregman and Howie Jacobson. They say you can't change other people. Well, Peter and Howie beg to differ. They share how you can help others change. They'll learn, one, the critical question that opens others to change. Two, the best thing to do when a person doesn't want to change. And three, the perils of giving positive feedback. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to as we've referenced, you can find them at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F705. That's awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP705. Now, here's a bit about Peter and Howie. Peter is the CEO of Bregman Partners. He coaches, writes, teaches, and speaks about leadership and life. His sweet spot is as a strategic thought partner to successful people who care about being exceptional leaders and stellar human beings. Peter's recognized as the number one executive coach in the world by leading global coaches, the best-selling author of five books, and the host of the Bregman Leadership Podcast. His works appear frequently in the Harvard Business Review and many other cool publications. And Howie Jacobson, PhD, is an executive coach to clients, ranging from startup founders to established and rising Fortune 100 leaders. He's the director of coaching at the Bregman Partners and head coach at the Healthy Minds Initiative, as well as host of the Plant Yourself podcast. He's written a bunch of books. His mission includes helping kind and generous people grow their capability and scale their influence. Big thanks to Howie for sharing his wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. No. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here are Peter and Howie. Peter and Howie, welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Ditto, ditto. Well, I'm so excited to, to learn that it is, in fact, possible to change other people. Tell <laughs> us, how did you reach this discovery? You know, I, I, it's a truism, right? I mean, you hear it all the time. You can't change other people. And, and actually, one of the things that occurred to me is that every time someone says to you, hey, you can't change other people, you can only change yourself, they're actually trying to change you. They're, they're almost always saying that because they're trying to change something that you're doing. And, you know, both Howie and I, we, we change people for a living. That's what we do when we're coaching people. We're helping them to make changes that they otherwise find difficult to make in their lives. And we're making a difference. And so, uh, Howie and I were just in a number of conversations and thought to ourselves, you know, like, let's let's actually talk about this more widely and let's give people the tools to do it in a way 
that actually works because it's not that people don't try to change each other. It's just that they do it so poorly and that there's actual ways of, of doing it that work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well then, so, so what is sort of the big idea or core thesis associated with the book? You can change other people, the four steps to help your colleagues, employees, and even family up their game. I guess one is that it, first it's possible, but, uh, fundamentally, how does it happen or, or, or what are the missing ingredients that folks are overlooking? Yeah. So one of the key points is that when we approach people to, when we, to change them, we often are upset. We're judgmental. We're critical. We see we know better than they do. And that approach actually creates tremendous resistance. And so the, I would say the key point of the book is to, in, instead of approaching people as a critic, approach them as an ally. So that, that's actually the first step of the four step process is when we approach someone as an ally, someone we, as we want the best for them, instead of coming across as we know better, their defenses don't come up. And very often the changes that we're hoping they make are changes that they would like to make themselves. So we're, what we're doing first and foremost is not creating or fomenting or uh, exaggerating their resistance. Okay. So can you give us some examples of, of how we can make that shift? Like, I guess the end destination is the same. We still want to get to the same place, but it's sort of the, the stance, the posture, the vibe that we have with the, with the other person. Can you sort of share some, some contrast like, hey, saying something like this is critic territory versus saying it like that is ally territory? Yeah, I, you know, I think the, the, the first step is even before that in a way, which is to say, how are you thinking about this? How are you approaching it? Because like Howie just said, almost always we're annoyed. Like the point at which we want to start changing people or helping people change is from a place of frustration and annoyance. And so the, the first step almost is how are you talking to yourself? How are you showing up in this dynamic and in this situation? And if you're saying a person is so annoying and it's so frustrating and I and in that frustration, finding the care behind it, underneath it, meaning that anytime you're frustrated or angry about something, it's because you care about something. There's something you care about. And in some ways, that first step is to speak to yourself in a way that says, I care about this person or I care about the outcome that we're both trying to achieve. And I care enough to want to put some energy and effort into kind of helping it move in a certain direction or helping them move in a certain direction. And that's really, that's really a first step. Yeah. So, um, you know, and you spoke also about the idea of like, we're trying to get to the same place. Maybe not though. Because like when, when we're when we're focused on, OK, I want my spouse to eat better and like we're going to do things that are you know going to try to lead them there as opposed to what, we're, what we really want to do is to ignite in them the qualities that allow them to change themselves for the better. So one of those, for example, is ownership. So they want, you know, the more we're pushing for it, the less space they have to say, yeah, this is something I want for myself. We want them to have independent capability so that they have to develop it 
over time and, and be able to do, you know, to do what it is they have to do in various situations of increasing challenge. So if we're really focused on enabling them with, with these and a couple of other qualities, then we're going to go about it very differently. So we're, you know, instead of saying, here's what you should do and just go out and be you know, giving advice, we're going to be very curious, like, hey, tell me about the, the situation. Tell me about the challenges you're facing with eating healthy. Tell me, you know, what bothers you about your body right now that, that you know, relates to food. And, and, you know, very often when we get people talking, they solve their own problems. And when we create the space for them to not feel judged, they can open up and become very creative. And Pete, I'll just throw out one other thing, which is initiating that conversation is really important. And instead of just offering advice or criticism or say, you know, using the example that Howie gave, instead of just sort of saying, hey, I noticed, you know, you took that third cookie and, and you know, is that really the best decision given that you're trying to lose weight? you know, to actually ask permission to engage in the conversation, to say, hey, you know, that's the third comment you've made about how you can't stop eating. And I've just noticed it. And I'm wondering, do you want to think this through together? And they might say, no, I'm not interested in thinking it through together, in which case you don't have the opening to engage in the conversation and support them and help them change. But oftentimes, if you're raising it in a way that's uncritical, and then you're able to say, hey, this thing that you're struggling with, do you want to think it through together? I have some thoughts, but do you want to think it through together? Their likelihood of saying, well, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to talk with you about it, increases their ownership in having the conversation and being part of it. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. And then let's see. So we're shifting from the critic to ally. And then can you walk us through, you've got four key steps. That's the first one. Can you give us the overview and sort of dig into each of them a bit? So the second step is like once they've said, yeah, I'd love some help thinking this through is that's the point at which we all want to just give them advice, right? Like they've said, yes, great. Now let me tell you all the things I know. <laughs> and instead of that, our approach is to immediately ask about an energizing outcome, an outcome that they want because we're still going to get into all the, the nitty gritty and all the good, bad and the ugly of the situation. But we want to frame it in terms of what do you want? Because when people are in problem mode, when they're struggling, their brains, our brains, when we're struggling, tend to be very defensive. So we're looking at threat. We're trying to avoid threat as opposed to when we are looking for good things, looking for food, looking for opportunities, looking for mates. You know, this is like, you know, evolutionary biology, psychology 101. When we're in opportunity mode, we see much more broadly and we can act on opportunities that, that when we're in defensive mode, we don't even see. So by immediately getting them to shift their thinking towards what do I really want here? Not what am I trying to get away from? We can open up a huge uh, internal reservoir of creativity and uh, optimism. So mm -hmm. that's that's step two. Okay. Uh, yeah, and I can jump in with step three. So step three is the opportunity. So we're, you know, in some ways we're, we're starting the conversation by getting permission and really focusing on being their ally. Then we're identifying what is the outcome that they want. And then the third is in this problem, there's an opportunity. I don't know what it is yet. They might not know what it is yet, but there's an opportunity. And how do we find out what's good about the problem that can guide us to finding an opportunity that doesn't just solve the problem, 
but makes us better off than we were before the problem. So like if the problem brings us to a negative and solving the problem gives us brings us to zero, we're going for positive. We're saying, how do you find an opportunity? And I'll give you an example of that, which is, you know, it's actually an example I was thinking about today, but it's, you know, I eat too much sugar. And so the problem is I eat too much sugar. I want to start eating less sugar. And in one way of handling it, the issue is to just sort of say, okay, how do I stop eating sugar? Like that, like if I stopped eating sugar, then that would solve my problem. But if you really ask questions and when Howie uses this process with me and Howie asks me a bunch of questions, you know, one of the questions is, what's good about this sugar habit? Like the, you have a sugar habit, like what's, what's it doing for you? How's it helping you? And I realized how it's helping me is I'm way overtired. Like I'm working way too hard. I'm doing too much. And sugar keeps me going. And so maybe the problem I'm trying to solve isn't how do I stop myself from eating sugar? But the, the sugar problem is identifying an opportunity that I could use more rest in my life. There's a larger problem and a larger opportunity that the sugar habit is pointing to. And once I understand that, I can begin to solve for the opportunity of getting rest in my life. And by doing that, not only do I solve my sugar problem, but I solve a whole bunch of other problems that goes along with my sugar problem. So that's just one example of, you know, what is the opportunity that's hidden in the problem? And then the fourth step is a plan. And it's, it's getting very, very specific. What am I going to do? By when? How am I going to do it? How will I measure my success? How will I know that I've succeeded or I haven't succeeded? And how do I learn from the experiment that I'm going to be doing on sort of addressing this or finding this opportunity to achieve the outcome? So if you think of the four steps, you've got being an ally and really being supportive and getting permission, identifying an outcome, finding the opportunity to achieve that outcome, and then identifying a path forward and ways of holding myself accountable in order to get there. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Well, could you give us a couple examples of folks successfully changing other people and that kind of walk through these four steps? Sure. So I'll, I'll give you an example that we talked about in the book, and it's an actual example. It's a guy named Brian Gaffney, who was CEO of Allianz Global Distributors. And he walked into an organization that was losing $30 million a year. And it was, you know, he had a leadership team in there and he came in and he basically used this process. He used a process in order to, with the same team he was working with beforehand, he came in and he turned the company around to a gain of $140 million. And there were all sorts of problems on the team. There were people who were like really, you know, salespeople who were smart, but kind of sloppy and turning off other people. There were like all sorts of different people had different problems or challenges on the team. And the first thing that he did was he would go in and basically identified where there was a larger opportunity, basically saying, look, we're losing $30 million. That is not our intention. We cannot sustain ourselves as a business if we continue to lose $30 million. And talking to the team in general to be able to say, are you willing to think with me about ways that you can change that will help turn around this company, right? And also to learn how to have these conversations with the people who report to you. Like, are you willing to do that? Because if you're not willing to do that, we're gonna to continue to lose $30 million. And that's not gonna help any of our bonuses. 
So there's certainly motivation to do it. That said, I still need to know that you're willing to do it because I, I can tell you plenty of examples where people are losing $30 million and the company goes bankrupt because they don't make changes in the team. So, you know, to a T, everybody said, yeah, but that doesn't mean that they know what to do and how to change. So now Brian is in this role where he has to help all of the leaders in the organization make certain changes. So, you know, step one is he's got their permission, right? Step two is identifying the outcome. And organizationally, there's a big outcome. The outcome is to become profitable, right? The, that's organizationally. But individually, the outcome is going to be different for each person because each person is struggling in a different kind of way. So it's having a very specific conversation with each person and saying, what is the outcome that you're going for? And I think one of Brian's great successes is that he didn't leave it at a mild outcome. He kept raising the bar and, and encouraging people to raise the bar. So, for example, in the example I gave beforehand, which is someone who was sort of smart, but literally sloppy, right? They showed up in a sloppy way. They presented poorly. You know, that person uh, says, okay, I want to not be sloppy. Well, that's solving the problem. But what's going on? Like, where's, what's the real outcome you want? The real outcome you want is to have an incredibly impactful presence when you're in a room with a number of people so that you move the room. That's the goal. Yes, you know, not being sloppy is part of it, but that's not the goal. The goal is to have the kind of presence that moves a room. Great, so now let's look at where are the opportunities to help you grow that capability. And, and it has to do with feedback from other people. It has to do with engaging people in a different kind of way. And then they can work through and work through how do we explore and identify the sloppiness, uh, sloppiness in dress and sloppiness in style and, and sloppiness in approach. It becomes this trigger that says, okay, so what do I have to do to have the kind of impact that moves a room. And yes, the, the person ends up cleaning up how they present, but they also begin to think about their audience. They begin to think about who are these people I'm presenting to and what is it that they need? Not just what do they need to see in me, but what are they longing for? Like the whole mentality of this person started changing to go from living in their own kind of world of brilliance to thinking about their audience and their opportunity was to think through how do I serve the need of the clients that I'm trying to serve. Then it was being very, very accountable about saying what are the challenges that we're facing and what are the opportunities that we have and specific milestones and benchmarks for you know making the kinds of sales that we want to make. But it's all based in the outcome of having an impact on your clients in a certain kind of way. Mm hmm. Okay. Well, thank you. Well, so, so digging into each of these in, in, in some depth, I'm curious when it comes to getting the permission in your experience, how often do people say yes? And what do you do if they say no? <laughs> well, one, one of the things you have to do is you don't ask a question you're not willing to hear any answer to. So if you're not willing to hear, hear no, I'm not, I don't want to work with you, then don't ask the question, right? Because then you're just trying to, to force an outcome and which we saw that you know, any kind of forcing on our part makes it less likely. So we're, we're really talking about best odds rather than some sort of Svengali 
mesmer technique that's going to be manipulative and gets that's them exactly where we want them to go. So the first is be be willing to have people say, no, I don't want to engage. Second thing is like the best way to increase the odds is for someone to feel like you have their best interest at heart. And so you know, one of the things as coaches we learn is that our first thought about what someone needs is almost invari always invariably wrong. Right, like, oh, well, someone will talk to me and I'll go, oh, yeah, I've seen this before. I know exactly what's going on here. I've solved this 100 times. You know, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut so I'll be a good coach, but I really know the answer and I'm going to get them there. And three minutes later, I'm like, boy, I'm glad I didn't open my mouth because I had no idea. Neither did they, but the space of exploration opened it up. So to be willing to say, like, I want the best for you. I want you to have ownership of your life. I want you to have the independent capability to chase the things, the outcomes that you want and achieve them. I want you to have the emotional courage to make tough decisions and, and stick by them when, when the going gets rough. And I want you to be able to do all that well into the future when we don't know what the future might hold. Like, like, so, you know, if I'm trying to get someone to eat a certain way or to start exercising or to stop interrupting in a meeting, it's my agenda. But one of the things the book really believes in is that, you know, we basically trust other human beings to know what's best for them. And that if we open up the space for them to take ownership over their lives and to, to achieve the outcomes they want, that that's probably good for everyone. You know, and I, a hundred percent, and and I, um, I'm thinking about something as you're saying this. And Pete, your question is a great question because there is some magic in asking permission, not just for the person who gets to say yes or no, but for you, because you know, if I'm frustrated with your behavior, and it's just it's sitting in my mind, and I'm annoyed, and I'm frustrated, and I don't ask permission and I just start giving you advice and you get pissed off and you don't accept my advice or you tell me to mind my own business. I leave both more pissed off. You leave pissed off. We've hurt our relationship. But if I ask you, hey, look, I've noticed this thing. And are you open to thinking about it with me or, you know, do you want some of my help? If you say no, for me, it separates me from an obligation to impact you. Like you've said, I don't want your help. I understand the dynamic now. I might be frustrated by that, but I'm probably not going to keep trying to change you. Now, there's sometimes when there, when you have positional power, if you're a boss and you say, hey, do you want my help in thinking through how to be more effective in a meeting? And the person says no but they still do poorly in a meeting, ultimately there's gonna be consequences, right? I mean, that's just the reality of a, you know, of a corporate or organizational life, which is if I have positional power over you and, and you're my employee and you're not performing, there's gonna be consequences to that non-performance. But if I offer to help and you say no, you are now really accountable for your behavior and I am now really not accountable for your behavior. And it creates a lot of clarity of who's responsible for what, which keeps things very, very clean. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and another thing is when, so, when somebody says no and you accept that with grace, you might be confounding them a little bit. Like if most of if you've been trying to change them for years and they say, no, I'm not interested and you give up. And I mean, you know, you say, OK, cool. Like they're like, huh, do they do they just 
do that, that's different. And you know, you could play the long game. And at some point, they might start trusting that you're not trying to force them to change. So the very act of saying no can open the path for 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 later. Uh, yes. I mean, I'll give you a very precise example, which is it happens with my daughter. Like, you know, I would give my daughter all sorts of advice. And I mean, I was sort of giving the cookie example. And I've talked a lot about sugar. So now you know what my habits are. But, you know, she had eaten a whole bunch of cookies and uh, and she was complaining about it. And I said, do you want my help? And she said, no, no, I'm good. And I said, OK. And I didn't mention it again. And then she comes back and she goes, hey, but I would like to talk to you about it now. Right. And I'm like, okay. OK, well, that's great. I'm happy to talk to you about it now. But it was her choice. Like it wasn't dad forcing something on her. It was her saying, hey, maybe dad can help here. And that's really powerful. Now I'm responding to her request as opposed to being a naggy dad. Mm -hmm. OK, very good. So then we, we got the permit. We talked about the permission piece of things. And then I'd love it when we, we talk about, could you just layer on the examples associated with the energizing outcome? Because I hear you in terms of, hey, stop being sloppy is not nearly as energizing as, you know, have a commanding presence in a room like, oh, yeah, I like that. You know, so could you could you give us a few more examples rapid fire so we can go, oh, OK, I see the the difference between a not so energizing versus a quite so energizing outcome. Yeah. So a friend of mine uh, had lost like almost 200 pounds and he started running marathons and he uh, contacted me because he was starting to gain weight back. Not not significant, but five or 10 pounds. And his whole thing was like, I, I don't want to be fat again. I'm tired. You know, I'm, I'm not going back there and I'm scared because I'm starting to let things into my diet a little bit. And we had a conversation. And the reason like he wants to keep the weight off is he wants to be a better runner. And so we, his energizing outcome was, I'm an athlete. He'd never been an athlete. He'd never played sports in school. But now in his, in his late 40s, he started seeing himself as an athlete. And so that was an energizing outcome. And to be an athlete, you know, he was going to eat and move and live his life in such a way that he wasn't going to be gaining that weight back. But it wasn't about his relationship with the scale, trying to go two pounds up, two pounds down, which was, you know, for anyone can be a very annoying, demanding relationship with very little benefit. But becoming an athlete and seeing his identity as someone, something he never thought he could be, that really excited him. And it made it much easier for him to do all those same actions. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Let's hear another. <laughs> I'll give you one that is a little bit of a complicated process, but is really, really powerful, which is a guy that I was coaching who was very, very frustrated with the way his boss's boss was acting, right? His boss's boss was getting aggressive and promised things that he felt like wasn't really something that we'd be able to deliver. And it was like, it was a difficult situation. And so he came in and the problem was, I've got this boss's boss who's getting in my way and I would really like him to just go away. Like, let's like, how do I, how do I get out from under this? And you know, as we thought about what is the outcome that you really want, and, and this will drive into the next step too, which is opportunity, but what is the outcome you really want? It's got nothing to do with the boss. The outcome I want is to be a powerful actor in my own world and to be able to 
make the changes and the moves organizationally that I think are going to be most effective for the organization and do it with integrity. Like that's the outcome I want. Like I want power. I don't want to be hamstrung by this manager and I don't want to feel the manager's manager in a sense. And I don't want to feel like my integrity's, you know, in question, but I really want the freedom to, you know, deliver for my customers the way I want to deliver for my customers. Okay, great. So now it's not about the manager's manager anymore, right? It's not about, now that problem still exists and we're not going to ignore it, but the outcome is how I want to show up in the business, how I want to show up as a leader, how I want to show up, you know, as a contributor in the business. And that's an outcome that's exciting. Like, well, I'm going to have some power in how I show up. I'm excited about that, right? So I can give you other outcomes, but do you want me to jump into the opportunity here? Like where the opportunity falls in? Because uh, to me, I found this to be a fascinating one. It turns out that the same characteristics of that boss's boss who was aggressive and out there and shooting from the hip and willing to make promises, that there were things about those behaviors that were potentially very, very damaging. And there are ways in which this person that I was coaching was so far removed from those kinds of behaviors that he wasn't able to have an impact, meaning he wasn't making commitments until he was a million percent sure that these were the right commitments to make, that he was afraid of being too aggressive and that he was, you know, that he didn't, that these attributes that were, that he saw as so negative in his, in his manager's manager um, were attributes that he was missing in his own life and was making it harder for him to show up. So now it turns out that this problem that he was trying to solve turns out to be a key element to how he's going to achieve his outcome, which is I don't have to get rid of my manager's manager or avoid him or try to work around him. I actually have something to learn from him. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to lose my integrity and it doesn't mean that I'm going to agree with everything he says, but there's something about his behavior that I find alienating that can really help me to be successful. And because I find it alienating, I'm staying as far away from it as I can and it's limiting my own growth. And so I actually am now going to get into a little bit of a development relationship with him, which now is exciting because this behavior that was so infuriating to me beforehand and so frustrating and alienating beforehand, I'm realizing, wow, I have an opportunity to learn something from this. And it doesn't mean I'm going to, you know, take on his personality, but I've got something I can learn here. And that's kind of exciting when I think about how it might help me to achieve the outcome I want to achieve, which is to have more impact on the business. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you. And then the last step, uh, create the plan. You use the phrase, create a level 10 plan what does that mean and, and, and what makes a plan level 10 versus something lesser? Yeah, so level 10 is um, our way of saying, I want the person who is going to commit to the plan to say, when I ask, how confident are you that you will try this plan? They'll say 10, right? Because very often what happens is we can get people to, th to think of wonderful things to do and, oh, that would be great. And yes, I'm so excited. And we never ask them like, how confident are you? So to go into, like, think about the next time you're going to have to say no to a cookie, Peter, or the next time that um, the guy you were just talking about has to uh, have a development conversation with the manager's manager. 
how confident are you that you're going to actually do it? And we get then take people to think about what's that moment and really like, yeah, yeah, no, I probably wouldn't. Or that's a step too hard. Right. So then we can we can say, OK, well, let's think about the rungs of the ladder. Can we do something easier? Right. Because we want, we, you know, momentum and motivation comes from confidence and confidence comes from experience. So one of the things we're, we're helping people do, you know, one of the four uh, attributes we're looking for is this emotional courage. So we want people to challenge themselves, but we don't want to to have something that they really don't think they're going to do because you know, the best predictor of whether you're going to do something aside from whether you want to do it is whether you think you can. So that's why we say level 10, where we, we want to make sure that we're offering people a, a path forward that they are willing to try because they think they can succeed. Mm -hmm. Zooming out a bit from from this, I mean, sort of across the four steps, what are the top things that we shouldn't do? Any key phrases not to say? I, I'm already kind of gathering that it's like, you always do this. What's wrong with you? Get your act together. All those things are probably uh, incompatible <laughs> with your ethos and model here. But any other choice, you know, words or phrases to embrace or avoid? Sure. You know, I think anytime you're going to give someone advice that's that's not requested. And it took me a long time to learn this because, you know, people pay me a lot of money to give them advice. I've built a really good business on giving people advice. So, you know, when I try to give advice to people like in my family who are not asking me for advice, I find it's, you know, not appreciated the same way I would expect it and want it to be appreciated. So anytime to really hold off on criticizing people or giving them advice or even suggestions unless they're asking for it is really helpful to do. And that means sort of managing and controlling your own emotions uh, around kind of what you're seeing and what you want to have happen. Another thing is, and this sort of seems obvious and yet, you know, it's very hard to hold back, sort of snide passive aggressive comments like, those are not very helpful uh, or even little comments like, oh, huh. So you, you, you're eating another cookie like not helpful. Commenting on your behavior is probably not going to have the impact that you want it to have. If someone, you know, if, if you comment on someone's behavior, like giving them a narrative. Oh, I see you went for seconds, you know, or uh, I, I, I noticed. Uh, uh, oh, you're talking again in the meeting. Another comment from you know, John, you know, those things lead to shame and shame is an inhibitor of change. So if I feel shame about something, it's counterintuitive. But if I feel shame about something, I'm probably going to deny that I'm doing it and I'm going to end up keep doing it because, mm. you know, we will do almost anything not to feel shame. And so much of the way we try to change people often elicits shame. And so any kind of comment that is offered without permission, I would say don't share. And, there, and there's a flip side to that, which is that we think so we're not going to say negative derogatory things Then we want to say positive, upbeat, complimentary things. And that's that can be dangerous, right? If someone comes up, we're working on the plan part and, and we're helping them identify options for what they could do. And they say one and it's the one we were thinking of. We can say, oh, that's great. That's terrific that we've just shut them down. They're not going to think of other ones because now they're afraid. Well, if we say this, if I say another one, then he might not like it as much. 
right? So we, we want to make sure it's not our agenda that's driving it. And we want to appreciate their willingness, their courage, their willingness to to be in the process with us, but we want to not evaluate. And the, and the flip side of a, of a negative evaluation is a positive evaluation, which still puts us in charge. And to your question, Pete, about, you know, let's keep it really simple, right? What do you say or you don't say? That's where the four steps come in. It's like, it's actually very simple. Ask permission, identify an outcome. Like, hey, do you want to talk about this or can we talk about this? If they say no, it's a non-starter. If they say, yeah, I'd love to, then the only thing you're saying is, what's the outcome you want here? What are you going for? What are you looking for? What ideally would you want as an outcome? And then you're just engaging in a conversation about how they might be able to get there. We make things more complicated than it needs to be in many ways. And it's very simple. Ask permission, identify where you're headed, what the outcome is, and then brainstorm ways of getting there and opportunities that your problem might be offering you. All right, thank you. Well, anything else you wanna make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? I think the only thing I would wanna mention is that this is, you know, I, I think changing other people gets a bad rap. You know, as soon as you say, uh, you know, you can change other people, it, you're seen as, you know, possibly as manipulative or like you're, you're controlling or, and I honestly feel like changing other people, helping them make the kinds of changes that they struggle with and are unable to make on their own is the most gracious, kind, caring, loving thing that we can do. The reason Howie and I wrote this book is because to give people the skill, the capability to skillfully help others make changes that they struggle with in their life you know, the world is a better place if we're able to do that with each other. So I, I just wanted to kind of share that. Yeah. And we talk about a lot that the litmus test of whether you were successful is whether the person thanks you afterwards. Like they're really grateful for the conversation. Like it's the opposite of half Nelsoning them into compliance. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you. Well, now could you share a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? One of my favorite quotes of all time is Frederick Buechner, uh, the theologian, who wrote, your vocation in life or you know, the work that you should do, your calling, is where your greatest joy meets the world's greatest need. Like find that intersection of your greatest joy meeting the world's greatest need and spend your time there. I love that quote. Mm. One, one that's come to me recently, and it's very much related to the book, is uh, Joseph Campbell quotes, is where you stumble, there lies your treasure. Right. So, so all the places that I say, you know, I wake up and, and I say, oh, I wish this wasn't happening, to look at it again and say, you know, what can I make of this? How, how is this an opportunity for me to become a better person? All right. And a favorite book? You know, I, I'm going to be a little disappointing here, but almost all of, I mean, I read a ton of books for my podcast, but my favorite books are, I, I, I make a habit of reading what my children are reading and my children are really into like YA fantasy fiction. And, you know, the Crooked Kingdom is the last thing that I read. My kids often will tell me, you know, I need to, there's a lot of leadership in these books. You should have the authors of these YA fiction fantasy books on your podcast. And I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll do that someday. But, but uh, I, I love, I love reading what my kids are reading. 
Oh, thank you. And and for me, the book that's had the biggest impact on me over the past couple of years is Sand Talk by Tyson Yunkaporta. And the subtitle is How Indigenous Wisdom Can Save the World. And it's a it's a an indigenous Australian philosopher and craftsman talking about the Western civilization from his perspective and how it's unsustainable and the lessons we need to learn. And it's it's a very beautifully insidious book. It got inside my head and I'm now seeing all of our problems from this other perspective. So I've, I've found it very helpful. Howie, you are so much more profound and sophisticated than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish I wish I'd known what you were going to say. I didn't have to go that high to beat it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> And how about a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? Honestly, like I got to tell you, the the tool is my phone, but I'm going to but I use it in a very very different way than 90% of the people, which is I actually use it to make phone calls. <laughs> I like I love like I just pick up the phone and I call my clients and we're in these brief conversations, even if it's a 10-minute conversation, and I just I really love I really love the phone for the use that I grew up knowing what it was for and having real conversations. My tool is, is my uh, right now is, is my um, adjustable height desk. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do different things at different heights. I found like I write at one height. I podcast at a second height. I do admit it at a third height. Those are fun for sure. Well, do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, I mean, my final call to action would be to, you know, and, and do it now, as you're listening to this podcast, think of one person in your life who could really benefit from your support, like one person, and start to try to use this stuff. Take that first step and ask permission if you can have the conversation with them. Because you will be awesome in your job if you help the people around you be awesome at their jobs. And so often we think, we're struggling to be awesome at our jobs despite the people around us. And I think we would be far more awesome in our jobs if we can help all of them be more successful, will be more successful as a result. Yeah, I want to leave that right there. All righty. Well, Howie Peters has been a treat. I wish you lots of success and, and positive vibes as you're changing other people. Thank you. Thank you, Pete. Such a pleasure being on with you. I really love Peter and Howie's perspective about asking for permission. And if you don't get it, say, like, okay, cool. Because not only do you feel a sense of peace and freedom, like, okay, I guess I don't have to worry about that so much, but they'll also appreciate and respect you. Like, all right, hey, we've covered that. He's not bringing it up. I don't have to think about that. And it's all good, hopefully, depending on the change that you're talking about. But I love that view is like saying, asking the question and getting a no can actually put you in a better spot than not asking it at all. And they may very well come around later and appreciate the fact that you weren't as pushy as, as maybe some others and see you more as an ally and less of a critic. So great stuff from Peter and Howie. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to as we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP705. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. 
Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.